Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsports show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Race Chaser Media's Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Inside Groove Supermodified podcast. And as you heard the mystery guy say, uh, it is brought to you, as always, by Indie Performance Composites, IPC Indie, uh, Jeff West and his group. And we so appreciate their support as well as the support of our other partners, including JNS Paving, Rich Worth and his staff, and, of course, the fine folks at Skip's Fish Fry, the best place to get fish in the great city of Oswego, and uh, we hope that you support Sean and his staff whenever you can. My name is Tom Baker. This is episode 52. We'll have a little fun with that later. Um, And frankly, I just want to do something a little bit different here to start this show. I would like you all, everybody who's listening to this, just stop what you're doing. Take a nice deep breath and close your eyes. I want to put a picture in your mind here. I want you to fully focus on the following phrases. The old gray fox. The ten pins. What kind of a picture are you getting in your head now? I have always wished that I could somehow go back and do an interview with Nolan Swift, because after all, it was Nolan and maybe Irish Jack Murphy, and, you know, those guys built the track in terms of the competition aspect, and Nolan uh, is a gentleman most admired by so many people, including myself. Growing up as a Jimmy Champagne fan, I fully understood that if there were no Nolan Swift, then there would be no Jimmy Champagne. Well, Unfortunately, fate didn't make it possible for us to talk to Nolan, but you know what? I am so excited um, to have the closest thing to Nolan Swift that we can get. Sandy Swift Downey has joined us this morning on Inside Groove. And um, Sandy, first of all, thank you so much for taking some time to sit down and talk with me Um I'm sure that you're well aware of the level of respect and admiration that uh, your dad uh, built among his fans and those of us who revere the Oswego Speedway and supermodified racing so much. Um, And I'm happy that we could get together this morning and just remember your dad and talk about your dad a little bit. Um, And I'd like to start off with what I hope will be the easiest uh, question I'll ask you all day, which is, um, you obviously kind of grew up with with your dad as a racer and knowing that about your dad and kind of being a part of that. Would you take a few minutes just to talk with us about what that was like from your perspective, just in general, to be able to have somebody like your dad racing at the Speedway and and tell us when you became aware that your dad wasn't just a driver in the field. He was the guy that was absolutely at the top of the, the, the heap. And he was the guy that everybody respected. 
Well, first of all, thank you very much for a lovely introduction. And, uh, and, and it did bring me back to a, a time when it was just, it was great. There was nothing I didn't love about racing, and I, I still do. But my heart is with Oswego Speedway and Super Modified. That's Absolutely. what I did, and that's where I was. And that, that to me is just so um, memorable in, in almost every way. Um, the funny part is that Nolan Swift was a, a driver, and he was so many things to so many people, but he was just my dad, and we went racing, and that's what we did. And so it, it didn't seem unusual. It didn't seem um, any different from anybody else because I didn't know what their lives were with their dads. So I uh, I think I knew when uh, he was very popular was when we drive up to Oswego Speedway every Saturday night, and we would kind of come a little bit of a back way through a neighborhood and the kids would come out and they would stand by the street and, and cheer and yell and oh that's just awesome different places they would do it but there's three or four different places they would do that on a very short distance up to the speedway so it's like wow that's exciting um so yeah i i i knew he was the top of his game for a lot of reasons and one because i knew who he was he didn't do anything halfway he did it with everything he had and um his love of racing um spurred him on to just be the best he could be at all times yeah it just seemed that way and you and you mentioned the the the, the signs and, and and the kids cheering and whatever it was it was so different back then i mean my father was a huge fan of your dad's and always cheered for your dad and and my wow. sister who is 17 years older than me um is was a huge fan um, of your dad's going to the races with him growing up as well. And, of course, I didn't start going until 73, and your dad was – he was still very competitive, but um, looking yeah. back across the years, you could kind of see that, you know, maybe at that point was kind of the crest, and then, you know, you oh, everybody has that sunset period. And and I right. think your dad was, was – it was I, – I, I felt like it was sort of that um, we were going through that – Swifty passing the baton to Jimmy Champagne kind of phase um, right. with all these other drivers right there nipping at the heels. It was a great time, but um, it was so different. The, you know, the, the, the lifestyle. And of course you didn't have all of these, you know, other things to do. Um, so racing was the thing on Saturday nights at the Oswego Speedway, the, the thing to do in Oswego. And, and I think the drivers, they were, you know, I, I said to somebody the other day, um, you know, they were like big oak trees. They were as tall as oak trees to those of us who were young. And, um, you know, your dad just represented that because um, he he went through that transition from the modified sportsman type cars to the supers, and he kind of led the way among the locals. Um, and so the role that he played there, taking on the invaders and being one of the first to be able to kind of, you know, kick their butt, um, you know, I think really made him larger than life, um, you know, uh, 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 as a brand and he, he seemed to wear that so well. Well, he, I, first of all, I learned so much about my dad when, um, Bob Metcalf promoted the street sign with his name and dedicated yes, his street Robert is awesome with all that. Isn't he, though? He just he he, loves he's everything. He's so racing. passionate. So, yeah. 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 And so when um, I got involved with that, with him and helping to sell tickets and that, um, so many fans 
contacted me to tell me the different stories that they had oh, wow. that, with my dad and, and that he was their hero. And I'm looking and saying, well, dad was on the track probably close to 50 years ago. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's so surprised that so many knew so much about him and to this day still w- was fresh in their minds about what he meant to them. And that was very eye-opening because although, you know, I loved the racing and loved his racing and all of that, well, I kind of had to. I was his daughter. Yeah. But with these fans that remember and and the, the things that are children, Nolan, and I'm just, it makes me very, very proud that I am his daughter and that I was part of the whole process of, of growing up in a racing family and um, to see how many people do go back and do hold certain things dear and near to them. Oh yeah. Um, of their of their childhood growing up, and there's a lot of them. It's not just one or two here or there. There's many people that to this day will you know say something to me about oh, he was my hero. He was um, so great to watch. I just loved him, and it just very humbling, but but very. Um, endearing too, uh, and and that happened a lot when we were doing the street dedication to Dad. Um, I saw so many people that uh, were in that in that camp of, of just thinking he was the greatest. <laughs> what do you remember? I mean, tell me about the earliest days that you remember, because um, I I'd be curious to know, kind of from the lens of your childhood, what. As you know, when you were young, I mean, what was it like to go to the track? And I remember the station wagon with the track. It was really oh, yeah. something. I, that, I don't know but that I, we ever had anything other than a station I was going to say, you know, but talk yeah. about your your childhood and kind of how did you, did you, were you in the garage at all with the, with the crew? Did you help in the car? I mean, what, what was it well, like for you to be his daughter? In the beginning uh, of where I remember, our car was at our home in, in a one car garage uh, oh, wow. in a, in the city of Syracuse. And um, when I'd be around, and especially in the summertime, not going to school, I would be wanting to do something. So my big thing that I got to do was dad would give me a big tin pan and pour gasoline in it and give me greasy old little parts to clean off with an old paintbrush. And that was my, that oh. was my job. I, I couldn't get into a lot of trouble that way. So yeah, that right. was my <laughs> contribution. Um, but then... It, there would be times when, and it was more than one time, where uh, the big brown truck would pull up in front of our house, um, the UPS truck, and oh, yes. I'd go out there and I'd be, he, the gentleman in the seat would jump out and he didn't have any packages. He just would jump out and, and start talking to me about <laughs> He just racing. wanted to talk I, to you? <laughs> yeah, he, he must have known, you know, obviously that, you know, that was dad's address and that okay. I was the daughter and... He started talking to me about racing and that, and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm eight or nine years old. I, I, I know very little about what's going on <laughs> with the car. And, and that big brown truck driver was Dick O'Brien. Oh! And, <laughs> and Dick, there we go. Yeah, I think that was like he was looking for information from anywhere. As... He was willing to, to pump me for information at my age. But that was, that was, that was fun. See, my childhood, to me, was just normal. But I did know that I went places a lot, and I was, you know, we were always gone on the weekends, and 
and I just loved it. That was just, you know, what we did. But yeah, that was, there's I, a lot of funny little stories like that. I loved how you, uh, I loved how you led us into that. It was, uh, it was a great Paul Harvey moment for those of you who remember <laughs> Paul Harvey. The yes, UPS the truck the randomly get out and talk to this eight year old, and then it turns <laughs> out it's Dick O'Brien. And now you know the rest of the exactly. story. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, that's yeah. awesome. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you 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 got to travel, I, I imagine, right? He's because yes. obviously Nolan ran. I mean, what was it like to just you know? It's kind of a weird way to have a lot of family vacations, isn't it? Oh, we were never part of any <laughs> of the family reunions or anything, and and I never, for some reason, I never felt bad about that because I always loved what we were doing, sure. so I didn't feel left out. But when we showed up to a family reunion, it was maybe every 10 years. So it wasn't something that, that we had to do very often. But again, I, I certainly didn't miss doing that. So, and our vacations were things like we'd go up to, there was one or two years there when we were racing um, Friday night at Delaware Speedway in Canada, and then Saturday to Oswego Speedway, and Sunday afternoon at Fulton Speedway. So it was just one whirlwind after the other, after the other, because we never <laughs> stayed overnight. We drove, right. we drove home drove and drove home <laughs> and um bill bill wright normally did the driving of the station wagon oh, but okay. the station wagon at least it was bill and my dad and myself and usually one or two crew members so i looking back it's, it's five six people in a station wagon traveling for hundreds of miles and that was just didn't think anything of it. That's what you, what you did. <laughs> now, crazy. no, it was no. I could not do that. <laughs> well, you'd have to fun. have a motorhome now, right? That's, right. that's what we exactly. Do. <laughs> and, and actually, I do remember as a kid. Um, sometimes I'd sit in the front because I was smaller than some of the crew guys, and I'd have to. I felt it was my job to keep Bill Wright awake because oh. he'd start doing little things that were habitual when he started getting tired. And I'd notice those, and I'm like, okay, and I'm maybe 13 years old, and I'm like, okay, I gotta keep him awake, I gotta keep talking, <laughs> just to make sure he didn't fall asleep, because he didn't have any sleep, and he would drive for hours and hours, and Gosh. everybody else in the car would be sleeping, and, and not me, I made sure Bill stayed on the road. <laughs> <laughs> so your dad never took a turn at the wheel, then? It was all, no. it was all Bill Wright. Never remember That's him funny. driving. That's Never. funny. Mm-mm. Wow. Yeah. Always Bill Wright. And Bill, well, right now, Bill's, Bill is with us, and he is 97. Yeah. And still pretty sharp. That's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. It, uh, it would be fun uh, to be able to uh, to get to talk to Bill at some point. That would be a, an interview I would be really humbled to be able to do if we could ever arrange that. But he's uh, he was with uh, with your dad almost right up to the end. I mean, I think maybe oh, the yeah, last they year were, or they so were... they kind of. They went to school together, so they were high school oh, okay. pals. So they See, just were I didn't know that. Beginning to end, yeah. Yeah, they were high school. So they were both the same age, and they both um, – it was kind of a toss-up as to who was going to drive the race car. They went to they went to watch a race that I'm pretty certain it was Brewerton. And uh, they watched it, and Dad looked over at Bill and said, can you build me one of those? <laughs> and he said – yeah, he said, "Can you build it better than the ones on the track?" And he said, "I think so." And that's just how it started. And then wow. when it came to, and and they both worked on the car and built the cars. Bill was the engineer; he's the one that saw things a little differently um, than Dad may have. But it really was a toss-up as to who was going to drive. And 
it was determined dad would drive and that's the way it was. But, um, yeah, lifelong friends, lifelong friends. That's amazing. Um, and, and boy, what a, I mean, who knew right back in those days, what all would have transpired over the next, you know, what, 20, 25 years, um, you know, just, just amazing things. Was it tough to be, um, the daughter in those days, because obviously in the, in the sport back in, in the fifties and sixties, you know, women weren't kind of, it, they weren't looked at the same way they would later be. I don't, I right. don't think anyway, was it tough to be, I mean, the, the access or whatever, was it tough to be the daughter in, in, in that, that day and age? No, not really because that's what you knew. Um, okay. That's what was going on. Um, I never went into the pit while dad was driving. Okay. Um, it was uh, at one point it was like, and I don't know if it was spelled out, but women just did not go in the pits. Um, he watched every, I watched every race from the grandstand, grandstand. and um, I, I only, I think I went in the pits later on after dad had retired and I had different friends and I'd go, you know, sure. with them and I'd go in the pits, but from his whole career, I was in, in the stands and I believe that everybody was, it just, that was the understanding. I remember we always sat in the exact same place and different people would come and go, but I always remember um, Todd Gibson's wife. Brenda, I believe is her name, yep. and yep. and she and and I'm thinking there was four boys, and they had to be like a year apart, and and they all had the same brush cut that Dad did, and oh. they would walk up and, and she was like the mom duckling and the you know or the mom and the ducklings following, and they'd all come up and they'd all sit down, but and and Leona Champagne, I remember her coming up and her going up to her place that she would sit, and I, I don't know of any women that wanted to go into the pits um and if they did i don't know if it's been allowed i just don't really remember that part but i know that it wasn't done okay um but you know i i couldn't see from in the pits and i when dad was on the racetrack i had to watch him 100 percent of the time i never knew who was leading i never knew any other battles on the track because for me I had to watch everything that went on with him. <laughs> Fair and enough. So I missed a lot of good racing, I understand. <laughs> well, but that, he was but... also in the lead a lot. <laughs> yes, yes. Because I'd, lo- I'd love to see him start in the back always until yeah. this day. I prefer my guy to start in the back because once he goes past you, I know he's faster than you are. And, right. you know, he's just making his way up. Um, so I just love that about it. And and he you know he went through it. It's so it's so funny to think back now. But uh, one of the, the the stories I remember my dad telling it to me when I was young, um, in the seventies. But the 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 lighted ten pins on the top yes. of the car. That yes. I can imagine as like if I could put myself in your situation as his would be his son, obviously, but his kid. Looking at that car with the ten pins yeah. on top, and going, "That's my dad." What was that like for you? And, and, and of course, I'm sure back then he probably got a, a you know his fair share of booze, right? What was oh, all sure. that like from the grandstand? You know, because I mean, he was he was the sort of the polarizing figure of the day, right? You either loved him or you didn't. You got tired of him winning, or exactly. you didn't. Exactly. So well, and was... I think that's true with anybody. That sure. Does a little bit better than the, than the average and. And you become somebody, and I, of course, I did not understand that when his daughter going through <laughs> right. it. How did you ever not want him to win? But <laughs> the reality is that people want the Cinderella story. They want yeah. somebody to come in and, you know, just 
the underdog's going to win, and it's so great. And I'm the same way now. I mean, I, there's always a story of why I would like to see somebody win. Sure. And, it, you know, so, so I understand it today. I did not understand it then. But as far as the 10 pins go, the um, car was numbered 10 yeah. the very first year. Yep. And they brought it, again, I think it was Brewerton, but they already had a 10 down there. So when he left, he was told he had to have a different number or whatever. So he went back to uh, Eastwood is where the car was then. And there was a gentleman they knew. I can't remember his name, but he had uh, he did bending machines and, and bowling machines and oh. video type things. And he said, I've got some pins. And we'll take that and you call it 10 pins. And go, Dad said, okay. So how it can awesome. be that they decided to light them on? The, I have no idea. But... Um, they did. They stuck him through, and, they, and, the, and I, the idea is, I was pretty young then, the idea was if he got into the lead and he didn't think anybody was going to pass him, yeah, he was going to win, he flip that switch <laughs> and light it up. I think I think one time he had to put Billy it out Bloom. as the story goes. Yep, yep. Billy Bloom. Yep, yep. So, um, so that's how it became 10 pins, and it was always 10 pins after that. And I, I love the fact that Jimmy made it the eight ball, and it gave the car its own personality. Yes. And as time went on, um, other people would, it may not be on the car, but it was, it was announced as being the Red Creek rocket. Or, yeah. you know, there would just be different yeah. things. The Purdy, Otisco the bomb. Deuce. C-50, it, the Otisco bomb, the Purdy Deuce. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And that just gave Sweet the 16. car its own personality. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's great. I'd love to see that come back. Um, a little bit more because it, it did have another dimension to it. Well, I agree. But yeah. yeah, the nicknames and all of that. Well, it was, it, you know, I think so much of that gets lost in, in the sport today. And I think some of it's just because the people who promote the sport didn't live, always live that era. And they don't, they don't realize that it happened so much or how, but you're right. I mean, when I think back about, about that um i was i think i it, one of my earlier um shows in in this new series of inside groove i think i told the story of how i i was flying somewhere i think i was flying home for christmas to new york or i was flying back but somewhere i i ended up at gate c15 and it was just like, <laughs> oh, like, like yes just literally sitting there at the gate and, and thinking about all the memories I have of all of the drivers and the C-15, and, and it was just like, man, this is great. You know, it it it, um, it made, you know, Bob Seelman chug-a-boom. You know, the right. car was chug-a-boom. You know, it, <laughs> you just have these different, um, the cowboy, Leon Weiske, you have all these different, the Tasmanian yep. devil, Gary, I mean, we could probably go on for hours, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. That, and I... I... From my perspective, because I was at Oswego all the time, um, Jack Burgess yes. always put yes. everything out there. They put he put where the driver was from, and it was kind of like a, a, a you just got used to it. You could recite all the places yep. the drivers were from, that their the, you know yep. the car number if it had a, a quirky name with it or whatever, because he used that in yep. his announcing. And it, it again, it, it made it it made it such a great experience to go through there because you do remember that you do bring that with you and i to this day if i have to remember a number or something you know i'll say nolan yeah Jimmy, <laughs> exactly what i do too and, and i know that it's eight ten two and yeah. so it, it just you know it just is something you'll use all your life oh, yeah. so i credit i credit jack burgess with being able to create that personality for the driver in the cars 
Well, yeah, I agree. The color. He put the color into yeah. calling a race. And, you know, when I was little, um, you know, I, I mean, I was obsessed. I, I announced my Hot Wheels races. I kept points. I was, it was, it was, and who knew, again, who knew that later on I would do that for a career and do that for a living and be, yeah. you know, do what I'm doing now. Who knew that the Lord was making me practice basically, right? Um, that's right. I, how I didn't just annoy my parents to death, I have no idea, but, um, but, but that's, I was Jack Burgess, you know, and I, and I, and I have always loved Roy's passion when, when the action would go up, he would go up, you know, and, and so yeah. I, my style when I announce is very much a combination of those two. Um, Jack's cadence was just, you know, he always had, he he didn't he didn't just it wasn't a run on sentence it was just you know yep. he would throw you know Ronnie Wallace in the yep. lead you know and here comes Nolan Swift yep. you know it was, like, he was just as excited like, yes. it never was boring it never was mundane oh it my was gosh. it was always always exciting I will also give Jack Burgess credit for putting the old in the gray fox because it came out as the gray the fox. old gray fox no yep. swift he, threw the adult, he couldn't oh. wait to throw the old in there because you know it was towards the end of dad's career in the early 70s <laughs> and uh and the gray fox was a invention of uh dick price who owned parrot signs oh uh, in syracuse and he is who painted the the car the seven the 71 car is my favorite car ever um 71 race in so, 71 is super modified. Yeah, right. 70 yeah. year, the 1971 super modified. Oh, the was... 71 version of your dance yeah. car. Okay, I was going to say. Yes. Okay. Yes, I know. Yes, no. That's all right. <laughs> no, That's it, all right. It was 10 pins. But he had a, a very cool paint job on it, and he had one of the stripes was gold, and he put 24 leaf gold paint on that. I and, heard and, that story. And once. did, yeah, and did hit dad's helmet with the stripes that matched the car. And yes. it was, you know, they didn't do that then. They didn't get real fancy on anything, but. Um, Dick wanted to sponsor in, in the car in some way, and that's what what he did. And he yeah. came up with the character, the old gray fox, and or the gray fox, excuse me. Jack did the old gray fox. Yeah. Um, and I even had a decal that that um, Dick had made me for my car, and I put it on the trunk of my car, a little decal of just that gray fox with the helmet on, that you know headshot thing. And so that was out my car for years. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I remember seeing, I've got an old program here from one of the probably 73 or 74 is one of, one of those seasons. Uh-huh. And, and one of the things I used to love about the Eagle that got lost later on was you don't say. And, and again, for those listening who yeah. don't know what that was, <laughs> it was a page in the program. They would just put, they, you know, people would take candid shots of people, drivers and whatever, interacting yes. in the pits. And they would make up captions, and sometimes they were hilarious, and sometimes it was kind of like, okay, that one just didn't work. Um, yeah. But one of them was um, one of them was a picture of your dad, and I don't know if it was Bob Preventy or or it was somebody. It might have not even been somebody from the team, but I remember the cat. It was a picture. He had, he was standing near the car, and you could see the fox, and the the caption was something to the effect of, "What are you 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 you're telling me that the." You're telling me the old gray fox on the side of my car is pregnant? And I just thought that was really silly, but the look on Nolan's face kind of matched the, you know... Um, you know, oh, I, think that I don't even remember yeah. that one. Wow. Yeah, yeah. It's I. I'll, uh, it's it's somewhere. I think it was either seventy three or seventy four. But it just you know some of those were great, and and yeah. 
you know, your dad always had, um, it's funny because I remember um, being fairly young, probably 74, 75, somewhere in there, I saw um, Jimmy Stewart on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson one night, and I went, Uh he looks like Nolan Swift. And my father's like, you know, he you're right, he kind of does. does. He does a little bit, didn't he? Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't about yeah, that. Yeah, once your dad got the glasses and kind of that, the graying hair, he looked like Jimmy Stewart. It was so funny. Oh, and let's not forget the pork chop sideburns because those oh, yeah. are part of, part of <laughs> yeah, the whole thing, exactly. too. And I look back and I say, well, it didn't bother me when he was doing it. When you look back, it's like, wow, that was yeah. just a little snap in time that yeah. that was popular. Yeah. That was popular. Yeah. It, you mentioned 74, 75. I remember um, one time, um, well, Gary Albritton was running a lot then. At that, and, and yeah, he, he just started. Very yeah. successful. And I can't tell you the details because I don't remember them, but I know for some reason after the race, Gary Albritton, myself, and what we used to call um, Gary's bodyguard, but he was just a friend. I think <laughs> his name bodyguard. was Big Jim. So oh. we referred to him as Mr. Clean because that's what he looked like. He's very tall, large, <laughs> the the Mr. Head. Clean, yeah, okay. Yeah. And so he White was always t-shirt. with Gary, so we just kind of coined that. So for some reason, we had to go to Fulton, and then we had to come back to Swigo. So I had my car, and so Gary drove my car. I was in the passenger seat, and, and Big Jim was in the, in the back seat. Back seat. So, yeah, because I had a 69 Ford Galaxy candy apple red with two oh, doors wow. that were about the size of, of a boat. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, anyway, went down there, did whatever had to happen in Fulton, started to drive out of Fulton. Well, all of a sudden, blue light comes flashing, and we get pulled over, and Gary was going a little too fast. And so... <laughs> no, that race driver, Gary Albert, speeding, yeah, no. So the first thing they say to you, of course, is license and registration. So Gary gets his license out, which I'm sure was from Ohio, and I go in the glove box and get my registration. So the officer is looking at the two of them, and he says, he's, he's Gary's licenses, all Britain, Swift, <laughs> all Britain, Swift. What's that? What's that? You guys have a nice night and you get some <laughs> registration. It's like, I, I, I'd love to know what was going on in his head. <laughs> saw the names. It's like, really? Am I, am I, this doesn't sound right. So, <laughs> oh, just there's so many little stories that you, you usually forget over time that you can go back to that are just, it just, as I said, it was nothing but wonderful memories um, the whole time. See, that's, that, that, kind of that that's what when we do these interviews that's what i enjoy the most is hearing those sort of behind the scenes and i think the audience does too you know, we, so. we want to know what you know what was what was going on and and you were able and 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 i later i'm kind of coming at it backwards almost now like i'm becoming right. friends with these these drivers you were you lived it in real time but these guys um you know Kempton Dates and Warren Conium and, and Bentley mm-hmm. and all these guys, Jimmy. I mean, um, the the opportunity just to get to know all these families for you and to live that golden era the way yeah. that you did, um, this must and have I, been there's, amazing. There's, well, there's something that still that I, that I feel I feel bad for so many race fans that are fans today 
that didn't go through it. And, and like you, yeah. you, you came in in 73. Yeah. Well, you saw a lot. Oh, Don't yes. Wrong. I saw a lot I of saw innovation. The glory days, yeah. Yes. My dad's time was 60s, early 70s. Yep. And so that whole time frame from early 60s to probably up until the start of the 80s and the 80s sometime. It was just so innovative. Yeah. And that's the part that I miss knowing about is you the anticipation at the first race of the cars. And I see it right near the gate coming over from outside to go over into the pits. Okay. What car was going to come through and what was going to have was yeah. going to be different. You didn't know because social media wasn't there. So right. everything that was there was, was a surprise. So you got excited to see what was going to come in and, and what had been different and and innovation was just rampant and wonderful and um the fact that you could do it and now i understand why you can't i don't necessarily like it but i i don't know if what the fix would be so that you can put some yeah. innovation back into um the whole racing scene and i, I, al- I almost think and i don't again this wouldn't work but to give everybody a set amount of dollars. Here's your dollars that you can spend on your race car. Everybody has the same pile. You spend however you want to and bring what you have within some guidelines, of course. Yeah. But I the innovation. Know. I, I, yeah. I, I know the first thing I'd like to do, and this would probably surprise a lot of people when I say it, but I mean, everybody knows how I feel about things like the rear engine ban and whatever. They've heard that before. But um, mm-hmm. the first thing I'd like to do is is ban enclosed haulers because yes. the, the, the yes. reason you were so on edge watching mm-hmm. them come up it, through is because you would see the car. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> like oh. the, I get the convenience, and I mean, I was just at a racetrack last night down here in Tri County. It was ninety plus degrees, and um, yep. you know, nice to have that air conditioned enclosed hauler to pop into. But mm-hmm. oh gosh, does it take the fun out of it? Yeah, you know, it does take the fun out of it. It really does, and 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 that was all part of it. If we had enclosed trailers, I would have never seen those kids cheering on the yeah. side of the road. They could see the big car right yes. there with ten pins on it, and you know, they may have not seen Dad in the car, in the wagon, but he was. But they knew it was him, right? Because everything was exposed, and you, you take everything away too much. And and race, racing people have always been very accessible to the fans, yes. and that's one of the key things that has been special about it. And to take that away, each little step takes it away. Each little let's do the enclosed trailer. Let's you know have this happen. This it takes that part away, which is not good for sport right. in general yeah you know and that's that's the hard part I, i've talked to several people down here about different things and and one of the things that i've always maintained is that the um auto manufacturers have taken the hands-on do-it-yourself things about a car now it used to be yes dad would take their daughter son out to the driveway this is your car. You yep. have to take care of it. These are the things you do to it. Yep. You change the spark plugs. You change the oil. You wash it. They don't do that anymore. No. And and it's they wonder why you don't have generations coming forward that are that are just in love with it with autos with and auto racing. That's right. Because yep. they're not, they're not getting it at an early age. Yep. Um. Because that's just not happening. And I I because of the car manufacturers wanting to have that piece of the business pie, then they eliminated people feeling the way they used to feel about their cars right i mean it's not even it's not even on uh, on the radar for 16 17 year old kids to 
be excited about getting a license and a car and all that. It's just like, yeah, I guess it's very, well, yeah. it's very low key now. Yeah, they just don't see it as the um, respect factor or you yeah. know the, for what it used to be. They don't. It, it, your what car you had used to be a way to say things about you. Now they all look the same. It really, you know, right. I, I love people that are still you know, brand specific, like if it isn't a Ford or it isn't a Chevy right. or whatever your deal is, it's like, right. It, look at my Ford looks the same as your Mazda. <laughs> you know, the, exactly. They're all round kind of egg shaped and, and frankly, just kind of ugly mm-hmm. in some cases. Um, yep. So you yep. just pick what you want and they're all the same parts and you know, it's just, but you just, you had such a, a diversity back then and um, it it had to be a joy to get to know some of the people. I mean, what have, what are your memories of of uh, for example, of Jimmy Champagne or of Warren Conium or of you know who are the ones that you sort of got became friends with? Because I I know your dad was friends with everybody. You know, right? Right. Um, what was you know what what memories do you have, or who were you know some of the ones that maybe you were just closest to? You know, not even purposely, it just kind of developed that way. Right. Well, it, it, it's funny because it was a different world back then. Yeah. Um, the, the drivers didn't all get together and go somewhere afterwards. There wasn't any any socialing going on besides the track. Oh, really? With, with, with 98% of the drivers, yeah. There was a couple drivers like, say, um, Hevron and Champagne because they – I, I think that well, yeah, they knew Dougie each other, was, and yeah. there was a natural progression. That was Jimmy's um, protege. But but it, it was something that you you were always a friendly competition, and it was always nice to one another. But you weren't buddies. You weren't hanging out um, for the most part. As time evolved, that became that. That's different now, and I still marvel at some of the things that go on with. Some of the drivers that you know, oh yeah, we went here together. And it's like yeah. it just—it's still—it's great, but <laughs> it isn't what I experienced. I knew Jimmy, I knew who Leona was, I knew all these people based right. on who they were. But because most of the time the women and the families stayed in the stands, and and again I'm speaking of Swigo because that's what I yeah. knew, yeah, mostly. Um, that you went to the pits afterward. And you went right to your car. Okay. Um, and, and you hung out there and you talked to the people that came over there, but you didn't go up and down the the infield and, and talking to people. Yes, there's people I talked to. But for me to say we were great friends, that really didn't happen until after Dad stopped racing. Ah. And then I got involved with different, um, the Sonyers, and, and we used to go out to the um, the High Miler. Sure. That's coming up with, soon, I was going to say. Good plug. Yeah. Coming up next weekend. <laughs> there you go. Always, always <laughs> Get your tickets now. <laughs> as far back as I can remember. Um, and then we'd go out there and we'd spend a few days there. We'd go to Sawmill Resort there and we'd have a whole area of rooms with all these people. Yeah. And we just had a ball. But that is separate of my dad and racing and that that happened all afterward so you're going to um, shatter my vision now you're going to shatter my 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 because i always heard all these stories about like your dad and baldy baker or your dad and this one you know would would go somewhere to a bar after the race or whatever you used to hear oh, those gosh, stories no, I, I mean that, if that happened i'm not aware of it and if it happened it probably happened <laughs> once no 
you know, and, and again, you know, if I didn't ride up with my dad, which I didn't, because I drove my own car at a certain ah, point. Okay. Um, you know, I, hey, he may have. <laughs> he just didn't I, want I you to there. know about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there was a lot of things, again, through the um, street dedication. I, I met a lot of fans, and they would start telling me all these charitable things that Dad and Bill Wright would do yeah. of bringing the car to a church and, and letting the kids sit in it and for a dollar or something, and then they give all the money to the church and things like that. And I was like, wow, that's that's cool. I didn't know that. I, You know, he didn't talk about what he right. did. Um, well, it was it was all racing, racing talk, and and then you get home, and then he had a refrigeration business that kept him very busy yes. in the summer. So he was, you know, he wasn't just hanging around the house chatting. Um, just a very busy, busy man. Yeah. So I, you know, it is I, I got to know people later on, after I was not actively watching Dad race right. anymore. And so, yeah, there's a there's a lot of, of great people out there, a lot of fun people. I remember Richie Evans when we went to the Thompson, Connecticut race oh, where yes. he ran our car. Yes. Oh, my God, that is one. I mean, I always love watching Richie race. I mean, it just that had doing to be car. such oh. an incredibly emotional roller coaster of a day. Um, yes. Obviously, with you yes. know John Robert, John Robert, mm-hmm. yeah, being yep. killed. Um, you know, again for those listening on the off the Swift crew was killed by a modified um, that that got into the pit area was in a crash and kind of wound up in right. the pit area and um and then kind of that confluence of you know I understand that Richie basically said, look, if you want to withdraw, you know, no worries, and you know the the moment of. Let's win one for John, and then Richie goes out and just waxes the field. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean that. And that's to be the first time and only day. time he drove the race car. Yeah. And, and as it turned out, Dad was going to be, I think, out west hunting when that race was coming up, and so he asked Richie or just somehow that came came together. Oh. But then it was so either rained out or snowed there. out. Thompson was always rained out or snowed out. The <laughs> time yeah. snowed out. So we came back the next week. And dad was back from hunting, okay. but he, he still had, you know, st- he asked Richie if he still wanted to drive the car. He said, yes, sure, go ahead. So dad was there where typically he wouldn't even have been there. It had oh, been wow. a week before. But he was there, and um, as it turned out, um, with the accident, um, myself and my uh, friend Karen White were in the pits, and we decided to go across the track, and we had to wait in the first turn to have him stop so he could go across. Yeah, we went across and went up into the stands, and it was like within 15 minutes that car came in and came right oh. into our pit area, and you couldn't tell what happened. You could tell where it came in, yeah. and I tried desperately to find out because I couldn't get across the track yet right. what happened. And as I know, somebody got hit, and all I got back from from several people was I, I don't know. It was the tall man. Oh, well, I'm God, so saying, you were, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, John and Dad were just about Dear the same Lord. height, you know, and just such a, uh, John Robert was the person to make sure everybody was safe. Watch out, never turn your back here, always listen out uh, for the cars. If you hear a car turn around, know where it is. I mean, lifelong, very yeah. safety conscious. So it would, it, it was so ironic that of all things, um, that John had that happen to him was it was heartbreaking, just heartbreaking. Ugh. But you know, it's just I, I I think they've changed that because the the he the modified came across a very 
large area from the back straight away to where the pit was in the front. So hopefully they've got some barriers there and have yeah, corrected that issue now. because wow. That's... Um, it was just um, very bad. Richie was such a personality, though. And, oh, and my gosh. I'll tell you a quick Richie oh, story my that gosh. my sister will probably kill me for telling this, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> she, she can get over it. Um, so so my sister and my brother-in-law knew Richie. They got My brother-in-law is a big fan of Richie's, and my sister was a Troyer fan. So I became a Bodine fan because, well, that's what little brothers do when you're trying to annoy your older <laughs> siblings. So I became so when the Modifieds were there, and I, I probably won more battles than either of them in my time of going there, so I'm proud of that. But to go back to Richie for a moment, so Richie, as you probably know, Richie was, you know, he was a jokester. He was a spirited guy. He he just loved having fun. And yeah. so my sister's walking down pit lane one day and all of a sudden, um, and so Richie's coming along with his modify going slowly and decides that he's he's going to, oh, no. we would call it punk my sister at this point, probably now. But um, oh. so he pulls up and, and, and just nails the gas. And of course, you know, oh. she, she, you know, and turned, oh. turned around, called him a bad name. Um, but yeah. it's, that's, that's who Richie was. I mean, oh. and what a thrill that must've been to have, um, to have him in the car and just go out and win. And that, that must've been just an amazing, um, you know, just for a moment to celebrate something amidst, yeah. you know, the worst yeah. kind of, and that's what the sport provides, right? The highest right. of highs, the lowest of lows. Right, exactly. And and the fact that that Richie was there, and I think he led every lap. If he didn't, it was very close to leading every single lap of that race. Yeah. And it was just like it was a mission. And, and John, we knew John would have wanted us to race. He would yeah. have been so mad if we said we weren't going to race. So. Um, it, it, it was in some respects to honor John that we decided to, mm. you know, continue to race that day. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was amazing. Thompson was always a, a whole different <laughs> kind of animal over at oh, Thompson yeah. because they had the, the icebreaker and I can't remember what the, what the one in the fall was called, but, um, it invariably had snow. <laughs> <laughs> you had to come back. Yeah. Well, and, of yeah. course, you drove there, you know, because it was maybe four or five hours away from Syracuse. Well, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. The spring was the icebreaker, and then the fall was the World Series. And you always had, oh, okay. you know, yeah. All right. Yeah, the spring. And, of course, but it didn't matter because even in March in, in, in the Northeast, oh. half the time it was still, you know, still 40 degrees yeah. when you're on the track. Um, you yep. know, I remember going to Fulton a couple of times early in a, in a season and you just, you know, you got your heavy jacket on and all that. Um, oh, I but, know. uh, I yeah, know. your dad tried to retire several times and he just yeah. never could quite succeed. Well, and because I, I'm sure you've seen the interview where he says that, you know, some natural drivers have a built in the seat of the pants yeah. and he believes he had a hundred percent. So when he tried to put different drivers in, I know he tried to put Ronnie Wallace in, he yep. tried to put Bobby Stelter Bobby in, Stelter. Um, they would go out and the communication of this is what it's doing was what they lived by yeah. to know what to yeah. do to fix it. To make the thing and change. it it could ne- it wasn't a good line of communication to the yeah. point where dad or Bill could figure out what was needed for that driver to feel comfortable. So his answer to that was always, oh, I guess I got to get back in it to, <laughs> to figure it out. Well, you know, which didn't do any good because he could figure it out for himself, but you still had a different driver that right. would want something else. So right. it, it, it's so hard to walk away 
from what you have done and loved for forever. And um, he's certainly not the only one that's retired and come back and, oh, of and course. in all sports. Um, but it, it was tough. You know, if he could have just gotten out of that car at Classic uh, in 72 and said, I've had a good career, I'm done, uh, it would have been wonderful. But he, he couldn't do that. I think the last race he ran was in 1977. 78, 78, Port City. 78, yep. okay. Yep. And, oh, that was the first race of the year then. Um, well, actually, I think it ended up being the second because it rained out like twice. Oh. <laughs> it's typically <laughs> Port City does. But, but I re- yeah, I, was, I remember it because he, he blew the motor. He re- we had a Saturday-Sunday uh, deal, and he, and he had a little, little wreck Saturday, just small, you know, spinning the wall of the thing. And then he blew the motor on Sunday and never came back. And I thought... Gosh, you know what? A, what a sad like yes. that just didn't feel right to me. And then all of a sudden he sells the car, and I'm like, "That's it? Like, That's it? That's all there is?" Yeah, I mean, even <laughs> yeah. at that time, it just felt like a very sad way for him to. You wanted him to go out with a, wi- a heat win or something. I mean, just something because that 77 Classic, he he had, um, you know, the last I call it the last miracle because yeah. how many times on Classic Weekend did he, you know, terrible on Friday? Terrible right. on Saturday, completely rebuild the car and go out and win. That was kind of the Hollywood. Yeah. And 77, same kind of thing. Time trials poorly, goes home, you know, completely redoes the car, comes back, wins his heat, wins the what became later the B-Man. I think it was called the semi back then. And then and then goes and finishes seventh in this great mm-hmm. drive up the outside for the I – mean, he was run- – and it was just like – and so he comes back, and it's like this is great. You know, he's he's going to have a good season, and it just sort of. And I'm like, gosh, that just felt sad. I know. To me, even and he never kid. really talked about it. He never really talked about the end of his career yeah. uh, too much, um, because I'm sure he felt the same thing you felt, where you know, I, I should have done this a different way. Yeah, uh, it would have been better had I done it a different way, and and he just didn't. And and is. You probably do know, um, I don't know about it today, I assume it's the same, is when you ran your car and you got your purse money in that, that went right back into, into the, the car. car. Yeah. If you're the driver and the owner, and you, you, he, I feel, was quite successful at what he did in the Supers, and Oswego paid the best purses around yeah. for the time frame. They did, um, for sure. Every dime. Every dime went right back into that race car. Yeah. And and so if you blow an engine in the beginning of the year and you don't have a a, a chest to go to, <laughs> pull out some money yeah, to, right. you know, go again, then maybe maybe that was the choice he made. I don't know because, yeah, again, he didn't, didn't I mean, really talk about it. It sounded like um, at, at some point I, I think I either saw something, um, somebody interviewed him or whatever, but something – came along where he said I just wasn't I, I was kind of at a point where I just wasn't willing to put in the time anymore right you know and right. and of course again you know as I'm sure because you live this you know back at, when when you're Nolan Swift now I mean there, there, there are always different levels of commitment that we make to anything some people right. do it for a hobby and they accept that it's a hobby and and that's fine we need those people but then there are the Nolan Swifts and the Jimmy Champines and the Otto Sitterleys and the, you know, whoever of the world who, who it becomes your life. And right. your dad had a, a business and a family. Right. And, but when, when it was 
when it came to the race car, you know, he wanted to win. And so I think there probably was that moment in there when he realized I'm looking at my car, the engine is blown. It's an eight inch offset. You know, more of these other offsets are coming in. I'm whatever he was, 50, whatever by then, probably 50 some odd. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I just, I, I can't do this anymore. You know, I I need to, to, to stop. Um, But yeah, to us, to, to us, I say us because I can't believe I'm the only one that felt this to, but I'll speak for myself only to me. It just felt sad. And even when he passed, it was like I I wanted like a a bigger tribute. I wanted more. You know, I I don't know what it was, but I wanted more. I just felt like because he was bigger than life and all of those drivers were back then. They were larger than life. And, you know, and um, it was just a really special era to to grow up in not just for the racing itself which was amazing and not even just for the innovation and the difference in the cars which was also amazing but the the men and the people were yes. were just incredible and it was a big family if you needed something somebody ran, ran from their pit and got it brought it to you yep that's the truth you that know that is the truth yeah and 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 they did they supported each other they all you know um they all had the same basic set of circumstances is you know put everything you got into it put all your time and your money and bring it there and and hope you have a good outcome and i do know there's teams that rarely had a good outcome and the the ability for them to come back every week it was just amazing because they were definitely spending their money on the on their hobby if that's what you call it um to do something they love to do exactly and uh, it's 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 wonderful to see that kind of dedication and that kind of effort. I don't know what it is today because I'm not involved with right. it as much today. Um, I just know what it was then. And it yeah. was just, you, you, you gave up your family life, you gave up vacations, you gave yep. up everything that you, you know, thought you might do yep. to live that race car life. And I don't know anybody, honestly, I don't know anybody that regrets it. No, they're given yeah. that their their whole self, their family. Nobody said, "Oh, geez, I wish we could have done this." Instead, we had to go racing. That was I've never heard those words. Yeah, from anybody. Yeah, um, it was just a wonderful experience for for everyone. And you had your tragedies, you had your things that happened along the way, and and you knew you knew that deep down going in that that was a something that could happen. You, you pray it didn't, but you always knew it was, it was a dangerous sport and, and that's something that you accept yeah. and, and, yep. and go on. So it's, it was wonderful for me. I just, you know, I just loved every minute of it. Were you able to be um, at, they had a roast for your dad at one point. Oh my. Were you mm-hmm. there? Yeah. The one uh, where Jimmy. Oh my gave, gosh. The showstopper. This- that oh my was, God! Every roast, and, and again, I, I, I have to explain to the audience because a lot of younger people don't know what a roast is. A roast, oh dear! Unlike what you see on MTV these days, where it's just like a lot of vitriol and just awful. It's it's right. mean. Okay, a roast when it's done properly is you 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 focus it on one person and you get a bunch of that person's closest friends or uh-huh. or, or associates, and and they stand up at a at a dais at a lectern and. 
and they basically um, tell jokes, tell stories, and, and poke a little sport and have a little mm-hmm. fun. And and this was a common thing in the seventies. Well, um, I want to say was it the Elks Club? Was it the Swiggle Elks Club? I, I, I think can't it remember was. where. Yeah, okay. And and they had a roast for Nolan Swift, and and I don't mm-hmm. remember everybody, but I know that I remember Jimmy Muldoon. I think. Gosh, who else was was there were four or five um yeah. anyways that that got up and talked about Swifty and had a little fun with him and then Jimmy Champagne comes up. Oh. He was the closer and and of course I'm a kid. I don't I I don't now looking back now and and understanding how these things work. You you know who's going to close the show when you do a a big concert with a lot of bands. You the closer is the one that's going to just blow the blow the house down and it's over. Right. Jimmy Champagne was the closer, and I don't remember his whole thing. Here's what I do remember: I have never forgotten this, and because and and I'm I'm curious to hear your response to this, and you probably know where I'm going with this. But Jimmy's show stopping mm-hmm. quote was, um, he said. <laughs> That's Swifty. He was always chasing the girls. Mm. By the time he catches up to him, he forgets what he was chasing them for. And the whole <laughs> crowd just, I mean, we, we literally fell down laughing. And I, oh I looked goodness. over at your dad, and he was, he was just, and, and, and I mean, <laughs> oh. was that kind of, was that the, was that accurate? How accurate was oh. that? <laughs> well, it's funny because you say that, and, and at the time, at that roast, inquiring minds want to know. My mom and I were there, and <laughs> mom and dad were broken up. Yes, and he was with Judy, and they were dating. So when Jimmy comes up with that, and then you have Judy and my mom <laughs> there, and it was just—I mean, it was just hysterical. My mom adored my dad for her entire life. And dad and mom had a very special relationship, even when they were divorced and and he had married Judy. And Judy was there for um, my mom. She was there when my mom passed um, in the nursing home with me. And um, so she was involved. It didn't start out that way, um, but eventually it, you know, my mom was just amazingly special. And and she said that um, she wanted to keep her family so they were all speaking to one another and gathering and all of that thing after the divorce. So she invited my dad and Judy over to her house. Um, Gosh, I want to say it was hmm, late 70s. Okay. And um, came came over for Christmas Eve with my husband and myself and just tried to keep the family all together, and that's what happened. And as strange as that is, it, it lasted my mom's entire life. That's great. Um, they were they were friends. They they did things at each other's houses, and and it worked out very well. But for the roast, <laughs> to say what Jimmy said, <laughs> and then look at Dad, and there he is with Judy, and look over and see Mom and I. It's <laughs> just like okay. But I I told Jimmy then I, I said you know this racing deal doesn't work out for you. You can be a public speaker because that was absolutely amazing. And nobody, unless you'd been somewhere where he'd done it before, nobody expected that. Jimmy was pretty quiet. Yeah. Jimmy didn't, yeah. was not out there. And, and it was just the funniest thing to, to hear him of all people 
do what he did. And, and he it wasn't delivered just somebody it wrote it. so beautifully. As, as I said, as I was going to say, they didn't just the words, of, it's how he delivered it. Yeah. That was amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. yeah that, that was, that was a very, very funny um, evening and, and appreciated by all. <laughs> and you can tell um, the relationship between those two also over the years. Yes. Um, and and yes. I was aware of it even at the time. And it, and of course, again, when you're young, you're not, you don't realize what, but, but what, as I got older and I, I look back on that, what I realized is what a there are two things here. What Number one, what a tremendous example of sportsmanship, right? Mm-hmm. Between mm-hmm. the two, there was there, there, certainly there was a rivalry. I mean, the two of them, it was always oh, yeah. Swift and Champagne, right? But they were friends. And, and the other thing is they understood their part in the play, so to speak, Correct. that was. And they would... You know, they ran side by side, lap after. They knew what they were doing. It was called putting on a show. And to right. to hear, right. to go back and read, you know, and, I, and and there's an interview somewhere, again, for those listening. I found yeah. this, I don't know, maybe three, four, five months ago. In fact, I think somebody posted it in one of the Super Modified groups. There's an interview on YouTube with, with Noel. Yes. And it was from 94, 95, 95. 95. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Gosh, I I watched it and I, I literally got goosebumps just listening yeah. to him talk about that. They understood what they were doing and just how how amazing in in that era that, that that you know you had your two biggest rivals and you're just thinking, man, they're these guys are just fighting it out. Well, they were obviously they both wanted mm-hmm. to win, but they also were aware that that was that was part of entertaining the crowd so to speak and exactly um you know that was just amazing uh i want that, that clip on youtube uh, they interviewed dad and just kind of did a little he did a little over, overview of his uh career yeah and um that was 100 percent dad oh i, I didn't imagine. know he, i didn't know that had been done either i we moved to mooresville north carolina in 1995 so Welcome. sometime during that time, <laughs> so you that got and, here first, but <laughs> yeah, and he forgot he forgot he did it. He forgot to tell me about oh, it. I wow. had no idea. So it probably was the early two thousands before I knew he'd even done it and and saw it for the first time. Uh, and well, actually, it was after he'd passed. I did I before I ever saw it. So it was very spooky for me to watch it. But it was. I mean, I cry when I listen to it every time because oh, it, sure. it is just so him. And and at the first time, I hadn't heard his voice in years. So, you know, for 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 me to see that and to have it be so spot on in who he was, um, it, it is a if if somebody has the moment and wants to see it, it is. If you just type YouTube and Nolan Swift in, you'll it'll come up with that. Yeah, uh, that video and uh, and that is that's the truth. They 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 were very good competitors they were friends they didn't as i say that you didn't go out and pal around with your right. other drivers at that time but um i know that dad was at the race um this, the modified race in 82 and um went to the hospital and leona was there and he was just so shook up yeah, over that I and um as were we just all. wanted to be able to do something and, and couldn't and then he came to where actually I was. We were having a uh, a celebration, and he and he came to where I was after that. And he just kind of came in and sat down, and everyone's saying, "Well, how was the race? How was the race? Oh, it's good." And he, and he just wouldn't say. 
Well, I found out later he wouldn't say that night because <laughs> I was I was about two weeks away from having my first daughter, oh, and and he, and he was so afraid yeah. it would upset me and and cause an issue. Yeah. So he wouldn't tell me, and I you know I found out later, but um yeah that was a that was a horrible thing and and just what I call a lot of those types of accidents a freak type accident yeah, that it, shouldn't it have was. happened yeah. but it did will. and. It's- you know, circumstance and, and, you know, yeah, it's, I still, um, I, I've told the story I, cause I grew up a Jimmy fan. Jimmy was my hero. And, and, mm-hmm. and, and I, I, you know, I can't tell the whole story of my experience about Jimmy in that night in that weekend without crying all these years later, I still tear up. Right. And that's, again, I think it speaks to the deep rooted, um, respect and admiration that we all had for not only our driver but all of those guys that it you know you felt like you were part of a community part of a family part of a you know a fraternity and and racing still is i mean you know people say well nascar this or whatever but at the end of the day when somebody when tragedy happens it it no matter if you like the racing or you like it affects us all because it's one right. of us, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was tough. And I, 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 I also, when I, when I think of your dad, that, that quote from Jimmy at the roast is always one of the, but then the, the other moment for me, um, post career was, uh, classic 1998 Bentley wins and ties your dad, um, mm-hmm. six wins and, you know, goes up to the, the, the press party and your dad's there and somebody says to your dad, you know, so what do you think about Bentley tying your record? Your dad comes right back in typical Nolan Swift fashion and says, I'll tell you what I think about it. I'm going back to the gym Monday morning and getting shaped for a comeback. And, of course, everybody cracks up. You know what I mean? Just, but, oh, you know, your dad never put it. But, it, you know, there's that picture. There's a picture of Bentley and your dad together I, after yes. that. It yes, is to box. me that yeah. it is just priceless. Yeah. Because his dad's just as happy for yes, him, you know, yes. winning his six. You know, he he could have, you know, he, he tied him. That didn't bother him, <laughs> but it, you, you know, know he played again, along like it did. Yeah, and those two were friends, and Bentley had yep. driven for him a time or two, and you know, mm-hmm. there was. Uh, so you know, the, those moments are why we we continue to just love Oswego Speedway and love the Supers, and why I wanted to do this show because I wanted a place to communicate the, you know, my, my passion to, I wanted somewhere to put it, but at the same time, I, w- I wanted somewhere to get those people from that era and to be able to have a, a, a place where, you know, older fans and newer fans could, could really understand the, the feeling of what it was like. And for the last hour and some change here, Sandy, you have, been amazing um and and just um given us uh, a a great insight into um you know your dad and the, and and what you kind of recall and what you felt and what you saw um i mean it it just uh it's great that we're able to you know at this point in our lives still sit down and and be able to look back so fondly isn't it i mean what a yes, blessing it was to grow up with what we did Exactly, and and to appreciate it, and to know today that um, you you had the best of everything you could have wished for. Yeah. I did anyway. Yeah. And I look at Oswego Speedway in particular 
and I still vote for it to be the number one speedway in the country. They have that yeah. vote every year in that. I think it, hit, it was fifth or something like that last time. But because um, you did go to other speedways. You went to Delaware. You went to Sandusky. You went to yeah. Star and Thompson. And, that. and of all the ones in that time frame, I knew Suigo Speedway was the pinnacle. Yeah. I knew yep. we had everything there um, that that was – at the top, the top, the safety crew, the the nurse, the doctor. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, Doctor Pozaskis, John Pozaskis, yes. and I'm probably saying that wrong. Yeah, no, it's and Helen, it. Helen, yeah. and Helen, Helen, I believe I'm right. Yeah. Helen mm-hmm. was yep. a Caruso. She was uh, Harry's sister. Yes, and and she was the nurse there, and it was for years the two of them, and it just was uh, it was just such a well oiled machine. And I'm sure it still is. I just don't have firsthand. Right. You know, I've been there and there, no, but I don't is. have yeah. week in, week out experience. Especially and, with the safety. And crew. I do hope that we get something in this year for racing. I'm I'm so concerned that yeah. <laughs> that there won't be a classic 2020. Yeah. Um, Me too. And I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that that's not you know going to yeah. happen. But um, yeah, I feel very uh, lucky, and I feel sorry a little bit for the folks that are race fans today that didn't have that and hopefully some of what is out there on media social media can yeah. give them a feel for what it was cuz yeah. it was it was wonderful it it really was and um you know the people really when you think about it it was the people that made it because if it weren't for the people obviously the machines don't get built the track doesn't get run you know right. the, the 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 sponsors don't have whatever um it was the it's it's the people and so um i am so appreciative uh i know that you weren't really too sure about doing this because no. it's not typical for you to do this kind of thing no, obviously it's not. <laughs> i'm so thankful that you did it and i know that uh, everybody listening to this is going to be thankful as well because again your dad was um, was was really a pillar on which the Oswego Speedway was built. And I've always said, you know, Nolan built it. Jimmy remodeled it. You yeah, know, um, that's a good Bentley one. partied in it. Um, oh, he you did. Know, <laughs> you know, he, he, he's, he brought the party, you know, and then that's Otto right. has obviously uh, updated it, right? Um, the right. Furlong was in the middle there and Muldoon. And, but you you have those different eras. But, but your dad was the pillar on which the Oswego Speedway brand and war got built and um i've never been able to do a proper tribute to your dad and i just thank god for this day that we were able to do this with you so thank thank you for taking the time thanks thanks to you for for bringing all of this all the interviews you do and and bringing the past to the forefront for for folks to listen to and and get a picture of what it was like and and to not just forget it because right. it's so easy to forget. And I credit you uh, for not letting that happen well, with the super modifieds. The super modifieds are unique. There's not a ton of them, but boy, are they special. Well, that's absolutely right. Um, so we'll uh, pass the glory to God for the opportunity to do this together today. And thank you for, again for your time. That is Sandy Swift Downey. We hope you enjoyed that. We'll be back with more of Inside Groove. I don't know how I'm going to follow that, but we're going to try right after these words. 
Victory Custom Trailers is a new and used trailer and RV dealership specializing in motor coaches, toter homes, race trailers, stackers, and lift gates. Their number one priority is to provide the absolute best customer service and deliver the finest quality trailers and coaches with flawless fit and finish. With over 200 coaches and trailers in stock, they are sure to have what you're looking for. If you're looking for something more custom, they can assist you in designing a trailer to meet your specifications so you will not be disappointed. In fact, you can design your very own trailer right from their website. For more information, just go to the website. You can check their inventory online. It's VictoryCustomTrailers.com. That's VictoryCustomTrailers.com. Is your job sucking the life out of you? Wake up. You can do something else. Information technology. I know what you're thinking, but I'm not a math or science person. No excuses. No problem. It's not rocket science. It's my computer career. Helping people start an IT career is their thing. If you don't absolutely love what you do, go to mycomputercareer.edu and take the free career evaluation today. You can start your new life as an information technology professional in as little as four months. Attend classes on campus or live online just two or three times a week to get what you'll need to start your new career. More than just the school, My Computer Career helps you get into the industry by working with hundreds of employers that hire their students. My Computer Career is nationally accredited and financially it is available for those who qualify, including the GI Bill. Classes start soon, so go take the career evaluation now at mycomputercareer.edu. Mycomputercareer.edu. That's mycomputercareer.edu. Welcome back to Inside Groove. Wow. Uh, I don't know even how to follow that interview except to one more time thank Sandy Swift Downey for what just felt like magic for about an hour so much fun so uh such a picture such a vivid picture of what her life was like what life with Nolan was like back then um all of the things that went on in that period, uh, some very funny stories and just poignant moments. Um, that is why I brought this show back right there. I so badly wanted to tell those stories and highlight those people. And that was it. Nolan was the man. Nolan was the driver upon which Oswego Speedway was built. And, um, man, I, I just I can't say enough how emotional that was for me, how much of a true joy and just an honor that was. I hope you all enjoyed that. Um, I, I will tell you a little bit of a, of a background story. I, and this will kind of maybe shed some light for some of you who don't know on often how this show comes together i um sometimes i have a i get ahead on booking guests by a couple of weeks and other times i don't and i'm okay at times with that because sometimes the the timing is everything and so when i had the chance to talk with dick o'brien who was part of the crew, right? The team 
that orchestrated all this magic, um, it just seemed fitting that instead of following that with what I originally intended to be a preview of the High Miler, it seemed I needed something, somebody... I wanted to follow that with a legend. I wanted to, that was kind of what went through my mind all week. And I, I just couldn't, I, I, you know, what could we do here? Who could we get? And I, I finally, this has been a very busy week for me, um, just in general with my work and it got to Thursday and I said, okay, I got to make a decision on what we're doing for the groove here. And so I looked at the list, my wish list, if you will, of drivers that I know I still haven't talked to. Um, and of course, it's not just drivers or other people on the list. And every time someone suggests something or someone to me, um, I add them to the list. And of course, then you got to run down phone numbers and then you got to find out if they'll do it. And then you have to schedule them. And sometimes it's, you know, the scheduling and all of that, it just takes time. But the other part of this is I, I, I'm, I, I totally get that some of these people are going to be more popular and get more traction than others. That's sad, but it's true. I mean, you just know, and um, it's just the way the world works. And so you, there are shows that I... I wish, you know, were were huge hits because they were great shows and they're, everybody I interview is, is awesome and, you know, and all of that. And you, you want everybody to to have the same. It just doesn't work that way. I get it. Um, that's why one of the things that I will say is that I'm going to start reposting some of last year's shows again. And if you missed a show or there's a show that you did not hear for whatever reason, I guess that would be the same thing. If you missed it or you just didn't, eh, maybe I'll pass on this one, please. There are some great shows that I feel like need more uh, attention from last year. Great interviews. And I'm going to start to try to re- you know, repurpose some of that and, and um, you know, and let you hear them because uh, it's, it's, it's all, Awesome. Not because you need to hear more of me. I, I'm I'm really, you know, I'm concerned that you hear the people I'm interviewing. But um, I'm aware that I, I the best thing I can do is not use up all the big ones at once, right? So we had Dick O'Brien, and I, well, maybe I should just do an analog. Like, you know, you got to do something. Well, finally, I looked at my list, and Robert Metcalf, who puts so much of himself into the Facebook pages he does. Um, you know, Oswego Speedway 60s, 70s, and 80s, everything Nolan Swift, everything Jimmy Champagne. I, I can't even name them all. Uh, forgive me, Robert, but I would never be able to, to, to off the top of my head, do that. Um, but Robert has kind of worked with me a little bit and said, you know, here's, here's, I talked to this person, I talked to that person, Gary Albritton, for example, was, um, was a product of Robert's help in connecting us. Um, uh, I've got one driver, uh, I don't want to say who it is, one driver who is, that will be a big show, um, 
that that Robert actually kind of took the initiative, and, and I'm glad he did because, of course, I want to interview all these people, but it's just hard for me being one person to spend so much time, you know, chasing down the phone numbers and kind of making the ask of whatever sometimes. And so he, he's been in, excited and enthused about um, helping to create some of this magic. And so um, there, there are a couple that are, that are still on my list there. I'll get to them. I promise. Um, but you, you kind of sometimes want to be sensitive to timing and you don't, you know, again, you don't want to use up all the big bullets in the gun at the same time. And so um, when I, when, when I looked at Sandy Swift, Downey's name on the list, I said, got to do it. This is, perfect timing for this if she will do it and so i called her and you know she and i had a great conversation and she was um you know again she doesn't do a lot of this so she was it wasn't that she wasn't excited to do it i think she was a little nervous about doing it because in much the same way as i did not want to just do a tribute to Nolan Swift and have me, um, you know, bloviating for an hour about how great Nolan was and kind of doing the whole, you know, third person thing. Um, I just, I mean, there are obviously people I know that were part of that era or maybe in the pits for that era or even knew Nolan. I mean, you know, but how do you, how do you do justice to what I consider to be the ultimate, this is the penultimate interview, right? The penultimate story, because a Swigglesby weighs the house that Swift built. And so when Robert gave me Sandy's number, he had kind of told me, and he he had given it to me a while back, and um, he had kind of told me that she, she agreed to talk to me but I didn't know if that was I agreed to do the show or I agreed to talk to Tom about doing the show. I kind of took it that way. And so, you know, I kind of put it on my list and I said, you know what? There's going to be a moment when I'm going to know this is the right time. Just like when Ronnie, uh, I'm sorry, when um, Howard Purdy passed away, I knew it was the right time to call Bentley and, and talk to Bentley it gave me sort of the tie, the perfect moment to do that. And after interviewing Dick O'Brien, I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to put another legend in there, and I looked and saw Sandy's name, who better? How how do you? So um, I am so thankful uh, that that she did it. And 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 one of the things that we didn't talk about during that interview, I've mentioned it um, on the air, I think uh, once or twice. Um, Larry Trinka and I had gotten together a couple of months ago, and Larry gave me a, a bunch of uh, old programs that he had doubles of because he knows that I'm trying to basically collect every edition, if I can, from, um, you know, the 70s era, and particularly that sort of mid-70s, but, you know, anywhere really 70 to 79. And... Part of the reason that I want those programs, and I think Larry understands this, is that out of those 
programs and me reading through them. And Larry, I've read through them all twice already. Um, and it's not, it's, it's not, I probably am obsessed, um, but, but it's because I want, it's out of those programs that those moments come back to you that then become topics in an interview at some point later on down the road. And the one program that I've always chased because I never owned it was the Rainout. 1976 Port City program, and I've talked about it, had Jim Cheney on the cover with two of the Nelson Powell cars. But one of the reasons I wanted that program was because I knew that in that program was discussion about Nolan Swift driving Freddie Graves' 38 car. He had taken it out in practice um on the Saturday of Port City weekend or whatever, kind of however that went. And then they were, they got the the show rained out and they were going to run the next day. And I remembered that Ivor, the driver, George Crusoe Jr. Ivor, the driver, um, (laughs) said that he was expected to drive the car today. And, and of course, again, rain out edition, you know, they, they ran what they ran and then, put another program out overnight that talked about everything that happened the day before. What I did not remember about that program, and oh, by the way, Larry, it is a double. I did not steal it off the shelf in your shop, okay? Um, It's still there, along with all the other programs that you have there. Um, You did have a double, and I was so delighted to see this. Like, it it was Christmas, because I got a bonus. What I didn't know is there's a picture of Nolan Swift in the car on the track, warming up, racing with Eddie Bellinger. And as far as I know, it's the only picture that's ever been published. I'm sure there are a number of pictures out there because multiple photographers, et cetera, probably shot it. But it was the only picture that was ever published anywhere, as far as I know, of Nolan driving the 38. Now, why am I so jazzed about that? Well, here's the deal. As far as I know, this is the only time that Nolan Swift ever drove anyone else's super modified. If anybody out there can can recall another time and Sandy couldn't remember either. We we both I think it's the I know he drove Merv Trichler's modified in the 73 modified 200. Uh, Somehow he was out real early in that race. I didn't I I didn't go that year, Um, but uh I think he finished like 35th or something out of 40. But um, I don't recall that he ever drove anyone else's super other than this time that he warmed up the 38. And so to me, that's rare. That's like a rare find. If you're a collector, that's a rare find. You know, and, and to me, that picture is the world because it's, it's kind of an only time. It's, um, it only happened one time. And I will also add at this point, since I'm talking about that day, if anyone out there can tell me, can fill in the blank as to why Nolan didn't drive the car the next day, I would love to hear that story. I would love to understand that because it just, I just like to fill in these blanks. I wish he would have raced it. <laughs> um but I, 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 I got thinking after I stopped 
Um, and again, getting back to how I put these shows together, oftentimes I do it in segments, and oftentimes it's out of order. Sometimes, you know, I'll do the third segment first because it's a guest, and that's when I could get that guest, and then, you know, and I have to kind of do it in pieces and then reassemble it as a finished um, MP3 file, audio file, that you hear as the full show. Um, And so in this case, uh, I, I decided to open the show with Sandy. And so I waited the extra day. Normally, obviously this comes out on Friday nights and, you know, I couldn't, I could not take time yesterday to, uh, to do the interview with Sandy. We agreed it would be today as I, as I, now you can tell I'm recording this afterward on Saturday. Um, but excuse me, that's that's what happens a lot of times is it it it's kind of an out of order thing. Well, I decided to open with Sandy and once I stopped the tape and we kind of talked a little more and then said our goodbyes and she hung up, I literally had to I had to while I was I while I was saving that segment, um, because I had to go back and have to go back and edit it later just, you know, for um volume and whatever and and so um while i was saving that i had to literally get away from my my computer my setup um and just go sit on the deck for a few minutes and just process that um and honestly i shed a few tears because i i just I'm so thankful that we got Nolan's story out there. I am so grateful that that happened. I I wanted so long to do that tribute to Nolan Swift. Um, I just didn't quite know how to do it. And also, I don't like to make people uncomfortable, so I wasn't sure if I wanted to to push Sandy to do it. Uh, You know, because, again, if people are nervous or people are... It's not going to sound, but I always try to tell the story and try to just lead the guest and, and let them go where they will. And that's why when you get somebody like um, Dick Macko or even Dick O'Brien or, or Larry Trinka, when we had Larry on the show, um, you, you sort of start somewhere and then it just goes where it goes. So what, you, what I try to create is that you're literally in the room with you know, the two of us, whoever I'm with, and you're just able to be sort of that fly on the wall. And we're just, you know, on the back porch with a lemonade and, you know, talking about racing and and remembering the old days or whatever. That's the kind of radio I like to do. And gosh, Sandy was so good. <laughs> I mean, it's just I'm so thankful she she had that faith in me and in the process to do this because it was great. Um, so I, I again, uh, thank you, Sandy. And um, I want to to move forward here. I, I again, I, I have no idea. I, it's like I almost want to just stop it now because I don't want to tarnish or go too long here. But there are a couple things that I need to do. The first thing is I need to preview the high miler somewhat. I'm going to be very brief with this because I don't have all the details of who's coming, who's not coming. Obviously, you know, we had a situation where now 
really nobody from New York is probably coming because they're going to be quarantined when they go back. Um, it looks like maybe 20 cars. I hope. Um, gosh, I hope. I hope it's better than that, but I hope it's at least 20. Um, I know how hard Kevin Jaycox and the team are working right now to put the show on. Um, I just feel so bad for him as I did for Mike Moore at uh, at uh, Lucas Oil Raceway when when we we put on that show because Mike did all that work and then of course you know the borders closed we can't have the Canadians which is still true and now the double whammy you know it becomes almost impossible for a New Yorker to think about going because they have to quarantine when they come back. Um, it's just a toxic environment now. Um, so here's what I'm going to say about the high miler. Anyone who is listening to this show, who is able to make the trip to Sandusky, Ohio, whether you're a driver or a fan, doesn't matter. Please, if it is at all possible, go out of your way to make this trip and support this show. Right now, super modified racing in 2020 looks like it's going to be very sparse. Um, it looks like Isma's not going to do much, if anything. It looks like Oswego is not going to do much, if anything. So the Midwest super modified series is really carrying the mantle right now for the super modified racing world and they are trying with everything they've got dave and Lori may everybody involved uh with with that group and of course this race is a big one this is a classic this is uh the first of the triple crown and we don't know about you know parts two and three we really don't at this point um so i beg of you to go and support this show if you can and make this work um, not just for Kevin, but for super modified racing in general. We need a good turnout, and I just pray for good weather. Um, follow it through Sandusky's page. Follow it through, um, of course, the Midwest Super Modified Series, the Isma Super Modified Tour. Um, you know, wherever there's publicity, I'm going to try to do as much as I can. I may be going. I'm not sure yet. Um, don't want to promise anybody anything. I'm trying, um, but we'll see. Um, but it's, it's urgent that anybody who can get out to the track and support this race, please do it. Um, it's just the worst possible circumstances under which to, uh, to try to hold a big event, but, um, you know, the show must go on, right? Um, so, uh, also, want to talk about 52 for a minute. The number 52, because this is obviously episode 52, and we've kind of gotten into this, I think it's a cool trend, I hope you all enjoy it too, of trying to rack our brains to figure out, well, amongst the super modified history of Oswego Speedway, who, you know, who ran this number? So we matched the episode. So this is 52. Um, current day, of course, Dave Danzer. But the thing that's cool about this, when I was thinking back, is the family history of this number at Oswego. If you throw out Paul Richardson, who ran it in 
I think 74, maybe 73, 74, one of the earlier 70s classics. He ran a 52. Um, and Mike Stone, I think, had a number 52, and that would probably go back to maybe late 60s, early 70s. Mike was a Canadian, and I, I think Mike's car, which, according to Ivor, <laughs> used to be 52. Eventually, he rebuilt it or whatever, and Brad Lichty, that's how he, one of the cars he had really early on in his career. Um, but when we get to 1976... Doug Sire buys Kempton Dates car from 7475 um and runs it as 52 instead of 72 which was his always his number at a swiggle from the time that you know that I started going in 73 and I know even before that they make it 52 and he puts Warren Conium in it who was his son-in-law so there's the first family connection to 52. Fast forward, um, Doug's, Doug, Warren ran it a year. Doug kept running and, and eventually stopped running. And here we come with Craig Danzer and Bill Sharkey, who were, um, were family. And uh, they run 52. And then eventually... Billy's no longer driving that car. Eric Lewis goes in. Tony Profumi goes in. Um, and Frank Ferguson goes in. And Justin Shea for a night goes in. I actually helped put that one together. Um, glad that Justin had a chance to try out a super. Um, and then uh, it stayed in the Danzer family. Um, and eventually, of course, Craig's son, Dave, now driving the 52 and continues to run that number. Um, just kind of funny the, the how, you know, there were, there were so many sort of family connections with that number over the last, uh, what, uh, 45 years almost. That number has been in somebody's family, um, whether it was the Syrconiums or the Sharky Dancers. Um, that number has been in somebody's family for the most part for all that time, which I think is pretty cool. And if any of you remember any other 52s, um, I probably, I might've missed a driver that maybe Craig stuck in it one night um, or whatever. If I did just uh, put it in the comments box, or if you remember anybody else that ran a 52, uh, love to kind of fill that all in as much as we can. Um, just fun stuff and, and enjoy doing that. Uh, that's it. I'm done. Uh, not much news to report about Oswego. Camden is uh, out of the country at this point. We wish uh, him safe travels. Uh, um, went over to Sweden to see his girlfriend over there and uh, just hope that he uh, he will be safe. Um, risky time to be anywhere outside of the country, really. Um, and so uh, pray for Cam to, to make it back safely and have a good time while he's there. So we'll get him on uh, as soon as we can in a coming episode to kind of help us to walk back through the Oswego practice sessions we've had. Um, and we'll keep you up to date on what's going on. We, we just have to keep praying. I, it gets harder to hold much hope, doesn't it? Um, you know, with the way things are going and decisions that um, governors are making. But um, all we can do is just keep praying and hoping that we get a chance to see racing at the Big O before the season is out. And uh, so... I'm not sure, as I say, at the t as as of this moment, 
Um, I know I'm going to Hickory tonight. <laughs> That's really all I know. Uh, I'm not sure what next week's going to bring yet. Um, but if I can get to the high mile and it can work out, I'd certainly love to do it. If not, I promise you, I know that uh, Kevin Sears and the folks at MSS are really tuned in to um, getting me information from all of that. So um, hopefully we'll have the, the podium and, and whatever news we can get out of there, and we'll we'll try to bring you as much coverage as we can in whatever way that we can uh, after the fact, which would be episode, uh, what, 54, I guess. We will have a 53 next week, and maybe I'll choose to, uh, as we get a little closer to the high mile, and maybe we'll, we'll uh, talk more about it. Um, but uh, we definitely want to make sure that we make these shows good when we make them. So I want to do them weekly. That is still the plan um, that, you know, sometimes, again, it's at the mercy of other people's schedules. So um, we'll keep them coming. And, and uh, it's your enthusiasm, all of you that listen to the show, that keep me going, and, and folks like Robert Metcalf who, um, you know, are just so enthusiastic and help me to plug into you know, here's this person's number. Here's that person's number. Um, uh, Jody Dates has given me the number of someone that uh, will be coming up very soon in our rotation. Um, another former driver um, that I will be trying to, to get in touch with. So hopefully um, that one will come up soon here. But, um, you know, we're just we're just having a great time with this. And boy, today was special. Today was just so, so special. So thanks to you all for listening. Thanks to um Jeff West and the folks from IPC Indy. Thanks to, uh, of course, uh, Sean Cathcart and the folks from Skip's Fish Fry. Now I want to fish. I'm now hungry for fish. I can't get fish down here that uh, even comes close to Skip's Fish Fry. So hopefully at some point I'll be able to travel to Oswego without breaking a governor's order. <laughs> and uh, my first visit will be to Mom and the second visit will be to Skip's. Um, and then probably while I'm there... Uh, uh, GJP, because uh, I love Larry Miller's pizza, and uh, of course, if I'm going to have breakfast, I'm going to uh, going to uh, Ritz Diner. Uh, that's just that's just how how I roll. So, um, anyway, have a great, safe weekend and week, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you or talking to you next week on episode fifty three of the Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit RaceChaserMedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliate, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.